Today on The Stand Radio, we'll talk about the South Carolina primary and the race for the White House. All eyes are on Nikki Haley and how much support she can get in her home state, a state that she was elected twice to serve as governor. Then we'll tell you about a law that empowers schools to be the center of children's health care while minimizing parental consent. They essentially created Biden care. They created government-run comprehensive health care services being provided in public schools all across America. Then we'll talk about illegal immigration and what we're seeing on our southern border. The Constitution specifically says that one of the key points is, you know, to protect from an invasion. And in fact, what we're seeing here is a type of invasion. It's the weekend of February 24th and 25th. I'm Jeff Shambly, and this is The Stand Radio. One of the key indicators in the viability of a presidential candidate is how they will perform in their home state's primary election. And that's exactly what's happening this weekend with former Governor Nikki Haley in South Carolina. How is she doing and how likely is she to carry that state? AFN News Coordinator Chris Woodward is with us to give us some analysis on that. Hi, Chris. Thank you very much. So the South Carolina GOP primary is going on today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bring us up to speed on what's transpired for Nikki Haley since the Iowa caucuses. Yeah, all eyes are on Nikki Haley and how much support she can get in her home state, a state that she was elected twice to serve as governor. Uh, Most, if not all, polls show Donald Trump beating her handily. And that's been uh, something that's been thought, you know, we thought that would happen for a while now, especially uh, given what happened in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, um, places like that, given her turnout. She has not really been able to show much uh, of an or have much of an impact on Trump in terms of that two candidate race. But uh, the reason why people are paying attention to this one is it's her home state. We had a story earlier this week on AFN.net in which she came out and said, I'm not Donald Trump. Vote for me. She's trying to distance herself from the campaign, although she did work for him when he was president for a little while at the U.N. Uh, And she pointed out that I'm not Donald Trump. I don't have the baggage. Uh, Vote for me. I'm even-tempered. I'll work with our allies. I'll work with our adversaries. I'm not going to stir the pot, things like that. I'm paraphrasing a lot. But in that AP story, which we have on our website, it did point out that most of the state elected officials in South Carolina have backed Trump, and I think all but one representative in D.C., Uh, for the state of South Carolina were Trump supporters. And that says a lot for somebody trying to run for president when they're supporting the other guy. Uh, Where is she, Chris, on the life issue and some of the the concerns that would be relevant to Christian conservatives? That's a great question and certainly one that's of importance to our ministry, right? It really depends on the issue with Nikki Haley. Um, She has supported this and said she doesn't support that. So it depends on what specifically you're asking her in terms of, and I'm using air quotes, the live question. For example, and I had to look this up because I wanted to make sure I quoted everything correctly. Back in November, there was a debate in Miami in which she reiterated her stance that passing a national measure on abortion Mm -hmm. would be unrealistic under today's divided Congress. And certainly the Supreme Court's already handed the issue back over to the states, right? Um, So instead, she said she would push for shared stances such as banning late-term abortion, not forcing doctors against abortion to perform them, and not jailing women who receive 
an abortion. Hmm. She was criticized in November for taking that position, saying this kind of seems like you're pro-choice. You're you're letting certain things um, enter into the realm again that went away after the uh, Dobbs ruling at the U.S. Supreme Court. She has long claimed to be a pro-lifer, uh, for example, and she's still pointing this out on the campaign trail this week. When she was governor of South Carolina, she did sign a 20-week abortion ban. But of course, there are pro-lifers and pro-life groups that want that ban to come down to just a few weeks. So again, it really depends on what question or what issue you're trying to research her on, because the answer is going to vary. In in her defense, though, Trump has said we need to basically bring everybody together and come up with something because we're kind of in a herky-jerky world right now post-Dobbs. Yeah. Before we leave the conversation, I don't want to neglect mentioning iVoterGuide.com because that's a great resource that American Family Association has. Tell our listeners what they can find at iVoterGuide.com as we see this presidential race move on toward November. Yeah, this is a fantastic resource, one that uh, we're very uh, proud to have here as part of the AFA family, iVoterGuide. This is something that even we use uh, to research people when we're trying to put stories together on candidates. If you want to find out where a candidate is, where they have voted, how they voted, things like that. You can go to iVoterGuide and get that information. It's very extensive. It's not long and drawn out. It's not boring. Uh, it's something that you know everybody can understand. Uh, and the cool thing about it is it's easy It's easy to share. So okay. share it with your neighbor, share it with your friends and family, even though they might not want you to talk about politics at gatherings. Uh, share it with your Sunday school uh, if your church is politically active, as many are. And if not, just do it anyway. Yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> even if they don't ask, yeah, share right. it with them. So the website is iVoterGuide.com. Mm-hmm. And also, I would encourage our listeners to follow all of the latest on these candidates at AFN.net. Yes. Uh, Chris Woodward of AFN, thanks so much for stopping by. Thank sure. you. The physical and emotional well-being of our children is crucial. That's why we take them to the doctor or, in some cases, a counselor. It's all part of being a good parent to direct the health care of our children. But there are places where your children might receive health care and even reproductive counseling without your knowledge. In 2022, the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act was passed by Congress, empowering school-based health centers to offer medical and behavioral health counseling with minimal parental consent. Jameson Taylor is the Director of Policy and Legislative Affairs for the American Family Association, and he's joining us today to talk about efforts in Oklahoma and Mississippi in response to these federal laws to protect parental rights. Jameson, good to have you with us. Thanks for having me on. How are parental rights at risk from this federal act, the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act? So the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act was supposed to be a gun violence bill. It was supposed to be about providing mental health counseling in schools for really high-risk kids. But something went deeply wrong with this federal legislation. Someone added three letters to the law that changes everything. They added the three letters, O. U-D, O-U-T. I'm going to read the section that I'm talking about. So if we look to the law, we're going to find that the Secretary of Health and Human Services is empowered to issue guidance to states on the Medicaid coverage requirements for services that include best practices for ensuring children have access to comprehensive health care services, including children without, and there's those three letters, children without 
a mental health diagnosis. So who does that mean? That's every child in the school system. Right. So what they did in this, in this bill, which is supposed to be about gun violence, they essentially created Biden care. They created government-run comprehensive health care services being provided in public schools all across America. And we may well see that this ends up touching private schools as well. Wow. But basically what this language does is creates government-funded comprehensive health care programs in schools, and they're going to be eliminating parental notification and consent as part of that comprehensive health care. Tell us what states are doing in particular in Oklahoma and Mississippi to protect parental rights. So in some states, you know, for instance, Oklahoma, they have really good parental rights laws on the books. Oklahoma probably has the best parental rights law on the books. But what happens when that state law is in conflict with the federal law, as is the case here? Well, generally, federal law is going to trump the state law unless state lawmakers do something about it. Now, fortunately, in Oklahoma, we have Representative Clay Stairs has introduced a bill, HB 3324, to protect Oklahoma's parental rights laws. Now, that bill has been referred to the Judiciary Committee in the Oklahoma House. Basically, what Clay Stairs' bill does is it says, hey, federal government, we in the state of Oklahoma, we're not going to violate our own state law to further your evil political agenda. We're going to tell our state employees, our teachers, and others to stand down and not enforce this bad federal law. Now, federal government, they can come in themselves and enforce this bad law. This is not a nullification bill. It doesn't work like that. Instead, it's just saying, you know, we in the state of Oklahoma, we're not going to help you enforce this really bad law. You're going to have to do it yourselves. It sounds like that these bills would also relieve the pressure on state officials from interfering in health matters that should be between a parent and a child. I think very much so, because it's telling state employees that we're not going to put you in a position where we expect you to violate state law and to violate the parental rights of parents in Oklahoma. We're, in fact, going to, as the state, we're going to stand up for you, and we're also going to stand up for parents that we're going to tell the federal government, we're going to tell Team Biden, no, we are not going to do this. Now, there's another very important angle in Oklahoma, and it's something related to Title X, which is funding for contraception. The Biden administration is so upset with the state of Oklahoma, and I think it's because Oklahoma does have this really strong parental rights law, They're so upset with Oklahoma that they are taking millions of dollars from the Oklahoma education system and giving it to a Missouri-based Planned Parenthood so that Planned Parenthood can go into schools and hand out contraception to kids without parental notification and consent. So, you know, this, this touches contraception, abortion, vaccination, transgender hormones, all kinds of things, because we're talking about comprehensive health care services. Fortunately, you have Clay Stairs' bill in Oklahoma, and they're trying to stand up to the Biden administration. We have another bill in Mississippi. This bill is sponsored by Representative Lee Yancey. His bill is HB 1169, and it's similar to the Oklahoma bill, except Mississippi has a real problem. Mississippi does not protect parental consent for health care in the same way that Oklahoma does. So Lee Yancey has another bill, HB 1100, to fix that. 
And we need to really fix our laws related to parental consent for health care before we can push back on the Biden administration. So for Mississippi, it's going to be a two-step process of getting both of these bills that have been introduced by Representative Lee Yancey. Well, that's a great explanation, Jameson. Uh, it sounds like the states need to be building firewalls, legally speaking, against what the federal government is doing. So let's get to what listeners can do. What can people do uh, in their states, whether they're in Oklahoma or Mississippi or maybe even a, another state? You know, there are three things that people can do, I think, to begin with. Call the Oklahoma Speaker of the House, Charles McCall, at 405-557-7412 and ask him to pass Clay Stairs bill, HB 3324. Ask him to stand up against the Biden administration and protect Oklahoma's parental rights. Likewise, folks need to call their governor. No matter what state you you live in, call your governor and ask the governor to intervene on behalf of parents in your state. The states don't just have to do whatever the federal government says, but we need governors. We also need state education superintendents stand up against the Biden administration on this issue, on the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. The, the final thing you can do, and maybe this is the most important, is to call your school and call your local school board and start asking questions. And here are three questions to get you started. First, what is your school's policy regarding parental consent for health care? What is the policy for parental consent for health care? Second, are you, as a parent, as an individual, are you on record as providing blanket consent for health care? Because they may already have the box checked to say, yeah, we have you down to say yes to everything. Right. And you're, you may be surprised by the answers that you get. And finally, ask what agreements does your school have with any providers like Planned Parenthood and others, with any providers to offer comprehensive health care or to offer any kind of health care in your school? Great action steps, uh, Jameson. Thank you for, for those. We'll put those on our show notes uh, on the stand radio to make sure that people have that. What about giving a governor a copy of legislation, say House Bill 1169 or 1100, as a sample of what states are doing? Is that something that's, uh, that's feasible? Oh, yeah, certainly. Th- these bills need to start to be introduced in multiple states. I think in some states you have the legislative deadlines have passed. So you can also get this introduced as a resolution to raise awareness. I think the most important thing is don't take, don't take no as the final answer. That we can, you know, you should be able to get to yes and encourage your lawmakers to do something concrete about this. Hmm. Well, good things going on with lawmakers in Oklahoma and in Mississippi and hopefully other states as well. Jameson, thanks for being with us and explaining uh, the ins and outs of this law to us. Thank you. Half of the states of the United States of America are banding together to step up and secure a border that President Biden has abandoned. And there are some very simple reasons why we're having to do this. The primary reason is because Joe Biden is not doing his job. Joe Biden is responsible for the largest amount of illegal immigration in the history 
of the United States. That's Texas Governor Greg Abbott talking about the massive amount of illegal immigration into the U.S. over the Texas border and the reasons he's opposing the federal government to stop it. We wanted to bring in Dr. Jerry Newcomb to explain what we're seeing here. He's the executive director of the Providence Forum, a division of D. James Kennedy Ministries, and he's got a lot of insight into America's history and our founding principles. Welcome, Dr. Newcomb. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be with you. You've written on the open border really for several years, and the situation has gotten progressively worse. Now there is a seeming standoff between Texas Governor Abbott and the federal government over who's going to gain control of illegal entry into the United States. What does the Constitution say about this, and who has ultimate authority here? Well, the Constitution says we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty. This is why we created this Constitution, for those goals that I just said. And it says, the Constitution specifically says that one of the key points is, you know, to protect from an invasion. And in fact, what we're seeing here is a type of invasion. In fact, that's in Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Supreme Court, obviously, in recent days, has sided with the Biden administration and has said that Border Patrol agents can dismantle the razor wire that's been put in place. How much of a constitutional crisis are we looking at here? That's a good question. And in fact, um, I wrote a column about it, and it's available at ProvidenceForum.org. It's, uh, I call it the razor-thin margin of our freedom. And uh, in fact, I quoted a couple of constitutional scholars, including Matt Spaulding of Hillsdale in the D.C. chapter and John Eidsmo. And uh, here's an example from John Eidsmo, and he mentions the Supreme Court. The one-paragraph Supreme Court order simply said federal authorities could continue to cut wires set in place by Texas officials to prevent illegal immigration until the case is finally resolved on its marriage in the appeal from the district court to the Fifth Circuit and ultimately to the Supreme Court. This 5-4 to four order is far from the final word in the case. So, in other words, the decision that came down a, a couple weeks ago, again, 5-4, to four, it was in, in favor of Biden versus uh, Governor Abbott, but it wasn't the final word. Well, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp has said that he's sending troops into Texas because Biden won't do anything. There are also plans for Louisiana and Utah to do the same thing. How much pressure is this going to put on the president, and do you think it's going to make any difference at all? I think it it will make a difference. And in fact, we've already seen that the numbers of illegals trying to enter Texas in the last a month or two has gone down significantly because of the kind of stand that Abbott has made, and then these other people are supporting him. But the bottom line is, you know, the Constitution allows for us, we, you know, we the people, to be protected, and it it's hard to you know picture the federal government being at war with the state where the state is just trying to protect the people within its states. <laughs> so, you know, and in fact, I mentioned earlier Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution. This is what it says. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against 
invasion. Okay. So I guess the question is, are we talking about an invasion? Well, you know, look at all these illegal drugs. Uh, you know who's really benefiting from Biden's open borders are these illegal cartels. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's causing a terrible human tragedy. I, I remember when uh, President Trump got so much flack because there were some children in a cage or something briefly. Right. Uh, that was not a very long type of circumstance. Now you're talking about thousands and thousands of children at risk because of these porous open borders. Yeah, and people dying trying to cross the Rio Grande yeah. getting into the country. It's, it's a human tragedy. It yeah. really is. Not to mention the tens of thousands of Americans dying from fentanyl, which comes through our, our southern border. I asked uh, Alan West, the former congressman. In fact, he used to be my congressman because he was down here in South Florida. And he said, what you see happening down there is just unconscionable. They're supposed to protect every state in the union from an invasion, and that's exactly what we have happening. Mm. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams recently in New York has said they've run out of room, and because of existing sanctuary city laws in place, he can't turn these illegals over to immigration authorities. As a result, he says many people are going to be sleeping on the streets. Uh, Dr. Newcomb, what is the Christian response supposed to be in a situation like this? Well, I would I would think it, it, it should be on many fronts. And I think the Christian response generally, I mean, is is a humanitarian one, but there's also a place for, for self-defense. There is a place for, you know, order. And, and uh, you know, my wife is an immigrant, but she wasn't an illegal immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we played by all the rules and so forth. And, and the United States, quite frankly, is very generous as a nation in terms of letting in about one million um, immigrants to become citizens and so forth. That's a very, very generous policy. But what we're seeing here today is is this willful disregard of, of, of the laws and so forth, and it's, it's causing all kinds of, of chaos in society. And the people who think, well, we should just have open borders, you know, I would mm-hmm. challenge them. Do you lock your doors at night? Right. You you do? Why do you lock your doors at night? Isn't that the that's not a very Christian thing to do. You should just let anybody who comes in and wants to come in and squat and you know, whatever. How dare you? You know yeah. it it's it defies common sense. Uh <laughs> I would refer people, by the way, to uh G. K. Chesterton was a brilliant British Christian writer in the early parts of the 20th century. He wrote a small little book that's hard to read, but it's really excellent. It's called Orthodoxy. And he said back in his day, one of the problems we have is people will sometimes take a Christian virtue, like charity, but they'll divorce it from other Christian virtues, like justice, and then all of a sudden you end up with a very distorted picture. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing today. Dr. Newcomb, there are people listening who may fall into one of two camps. They look at this and they say, well, this is God's judgment on on America. I'm scared to death. This is way over my head. And so they are sort of paralyzed into doing nothing. On the other hand, you have people saying, and Christians would say, well, this is not even a gospel issue. We shouldn't care about that. Let's just preach the gospel. Give us your perspective on what a good balance would be as we consider what it means to have compassion and justice, as you've said. 
You know, my good friend Bill Federer likes to say that the number one obligation is to preach the gospel, but then the number two obligation is to make sure it's still legal to preach the gospel. (laughs) And, and, you know, when we see the, the, the federal government and the government at large encroaching more and more on Christian liberties, it becomes harder to be a true practicing Christian and so forth. I mean, you, you name the issue when the government tries to interfere with how we live as Christians, how we define, you know, what is a marriage, how we define when does life begin, and so forth. The government is interfering with, with so many of these things, and the bottom line is that, uh, you know, on the one hand, we should be faithful to Christ in all things, and on the other hand, we need to recognize there are political implications sometimes to being a faithful Christian. Mm-hmm. D. James Kennedy used to say this, as an example. He said sometimes we're accused of uh, preaching politics by preaching on, on the great issues of the day from a Christian perspective. But he said, let me give an example. For 2,000 years, the Christian Church has been foursquare against abortion, mm-hmm. has provided loving alternatives down through the centuries. We still do that. Uh, and yet today, in the last generation or two, we're being told this is a political issue. Get out of politics. Well, it's a moral issue, <laughs> and, yeah. and and the gospel of Jesus Christ has something to say, uh, you know, about the value of human life. We're made in the image of God, therefore these babies shouldn't be killed. And of course, as believers, we know that situations like this that make us uncomfortable and, and that are very difficult really are great uh, grounds to have a revival and, and to not fear, but to oh. seek the Lord. And you've, you've talked about that. Oh, that's absolutely true. And in fact, at ProvidenceForum.org, you know, where we have all kinds of different videos that we produce and so forth, we deal a lot with American history and America was born because of a revival. Uh, and I'm talking specifically about how the first great awakening in the 1740s and, and, and 50s and so forth, 1730s even, uh, helped unite these 13 disparate, mm. separate colonies that we each would have to deal with England one at a time, you know, by themselves and so forth. But it helped unite them as a, uh, you know, as a, uh, as a unit. In effect, John Adams, our second president, said that, in effect, the revolution, the American Revolution, uh, was preceded by a generation or so uh, in a spiritual revolution, and that would be the Great Awakening, you know, Mm -hmm. preaching the gospel when people became born again, and and that's when uh, there was this this common interest in, you know, in uniting uh, the different colonies, and, yeah. and and basically standing up for our God-given rights. You know, the essence of America can be summed up in two phrases, self-rule under God. And that is the essence of it, and that that's from the, from the beginning, that, let's say, the Mayflower Compact in 1620, in the name of God, amen, where they talked about they came for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. They combined themselves into a civil body politic. We're still using that phrase today. And, you know, you you go all the way to the the Declaration of Independence, 1776, and the Constitution in 1787, which explains how that government is to work. Uh, It it all gets back to the idea that our rights come from the Creator, and therefore we have the consent of the governed. And, uh, you know, government should not interfere with that. And we're seeing, unfortunately, we're seeing the chipping away of our God-given rights in our own time. And yes, revival is what we need so much to 
get back on track. Yeah, good insight, uh, Dr. Newcomb. You can follow Dr. Jerry Newcomb at ProvidenceForum.org, where he's written extensively on this topic and, and many other topics. We hope you'll check that out. Dr. Newcomb, thanks for being with us on The Stand Radio. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Yes, you too, Jeff. Thank you. Next time on The Stand Radio, AFA Vice President Walker Wildman previews the Super Tuesday primaries and the leading issues we need to be concerned about. And Austin Brooks of American Family Studios will discuss everyday people taking their faith into the public square in the middle of opposition. Then Rebecca Davis and Rusty Benson will be with us to share their memories of Donald Wildman. If you've missed a part of today's program or you'd like to hear it again, you can get the podcast at AFR.net. For the latest news on faith, family, and culture, and how you can have an impact where you live, turn to The Stand magazine. Get your free six-month subscription at AFA.net slash The Stand. I'm Jeff Shambly. Join us again next time here on The Stand Radio.